came down. And it's this time of year, among others, when we celebrate the coming down of Christ to our earth, to this place. But he didn't come down just to live for us and die for us. He also came down to live among us, to be Emmanuel, God with us, and to make a difference among the people he was living in at the time he was living. And so this morning, I just want to read a brief story. It's my current favorite Christmas story, though I reserve the right to change my favorite Christmas story as I read others that I like better. But I thought, if I'm going to read a story, I should probably have a comfortable chair to sit in, because it just seems like that's the thing to do. It would also be nice to have a fireplace and all of us be in a living room here together. The story is entitled, The Man Who Missed Christmas. It was Christmas Eve, as usual. George Mason was the last to leave the office. He walked over to a massive safe, spun the dials, and swung the heavy door open. Making sure the door would not close behind him, he stepped inside. A square of white cardboard was taped just above the inmost, the topmost row of strong boxes. On the card, a few words were written. George Mason stared at those words, remembering. Exactly one year ago that day, he'd entered into that selfsame vault. And then behind his back, slowly, noiselessly, the ponderous door swung shut. He was trapped, entombed in the sudden and terrifying dark. He hurled himself endlessly at the unyielding door, his hoarse cry sounding like an explosion. Through his mind flashed all the stories of people who also had become trapped in vaults like this one, but hadn't lived to tell the story. No time clock controlled this mechanism. The safe would remain locked until the next day when the man would come and open it from the outside tomorrow morning. And then the realization hit him. Tomorrow was Christmas. Nobody was going to come for him. Once more, he flung himself at the door, screaming, shouting wildly until he sank on his knees, exhausted. And then silence came. A high-pitched, singing silence that seemed deafening. More than 36 hours lay before him in that steel box, three feet wide, eight feet long, and seven feet high. Would the oxygen last? Panting and breathing heavily, he felt his way along the floor, and there he found a small circular opening just above the floor. He felt it with his finger, and he could feel a cool breeze of air. The tension release was so powerful, he started sobbing, bursting into tears. But at last, he sat up. Surely somebody would miss me. Somebody would come looking for me. Surely I won't have to wait in this box for 36 hours. But who? He was unmarried, and he lived alone. 
The maid who cleaned his apartment was only a servant. He'd always just treated her as such. He'd been invited to spend Christmas Eve with his brother's family, but children got on his nerves, and they also expected presents. <laughs> he declined the invitation. A friend had asked him to go to a home for the elderly and play the piano because George was very gifted, a good musician. But he'd made one excuse or another, had intended to sit at home by himself listening to some new recordings that he was giving himself. George Mason dug his nails in the palms of his hands until the pain balanced the misery of his mind. Nobody was going to come let him out. Nobody, nobody, nobody. Miserably, the whole day of Christmas went by and the succeeding night. On the morning after Christmas, the head clerk came to the office at the usual time, opened the safe, and then went into his private office. Nobody saw George Mason stagger out in the corridor, run to the water cooler, and drink down great gulps of water. Nobody paid attention to him as he left and took a taxi home. Then he shaved changed his wrinkled clothes, ate some breakfast, and returned to the office where his employees greeted him casually. That day he met several acquaintances and talked to his own brother. Grimly, the truth closed in on George Mason. He had vanished from human society during the greatest festival of brotherhood, and nobody had missed him at all. Reluctantly, George Mason began to think about the meaning of Christmas. Was it possible that he'd been blind all these years with selfishness, indifference, and pride? Was not giving, after all, the essence of Christmas because it marked the time when God gave his son to the world? All through the year that followed, with little hesitant deeds of kindness, with small unnoticed acts of unselfless, unselfishness, George Mason tried to prepare himself. Now, once more, it was Christmas Eve. Slowly, he backed out of the vault, and he closed it. He touched its grim metal face lightly, almost affectionately, and he left the office. There he goes now. He's in his black overcoat and hat, the same George Mason as a year ago. Or is he? He walks a few blocks and flags a taxi, anxious not to be late. His nephews are expecting him to help him trim the tree. Afterwards, he's taking his brother and his sister-in-law to a Christmas play. Why is he so happy? Why does this jostling against others, laden as he is with burdens, exhilarate and delight him? Perhaps it has something to do with it. The card that he taped inside his office safe last New Year's Day. On the card was written in George Mason's own handwriting these words. To love people, to be indispensable somewhere, that is the purpose of life. That is the secret of happiness. The end. <laughs>